0: This program is made possible by the friends and partners of Unspeakable Joy. I want to talk to you tonight, and I think the title is better than the message. But I want to talk to you tonight about how to be glad when everything's bad. How in the world do you maintain joy when everything around you is tough? Everything around you is going downhill. I want you to look in the book of Isaiah chapter number 65, and I want you to look in verse number 17, Isaiah 65 and verse number 17, the Bible says, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered nor come into mind. But be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem, a rejoicing, and her people a joy. Now, if you are in the habit of marking in your Bible, I want you to notice what book you're in. You are in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah is the prince of the prophets. Isaiah is that prophet that prophesies, and everybody that prophesies before or after, Isaiah is on the mountain peak, and they're either looking up before them or looking up behind them at the writing of Isaiah. Now, brothers and sisters, Isaiah has been called a miniature Bible because Isaiah is a synopsis of the entire Bible. Just as your Bible has 66 books in it, Isaiah has 66 chapters in it. Just like your Bible has two sections to it, the book of Isaiah has two sections to it. The Bible's got the Old Testament and it's got the New Testament just as the Old Testament you have got 39 books in the Old Testament and you've got 27 books in the New Testament so the book of Isaiah the first half has got 39 chapters and then you come into the second half the New Testament half and there are 27 chapters in the book of Isaiah it's a miniature Bible Therefore, if it is a miniature Bible, you could probably take the first chapter and correlate it to the book of Genesis. What is the book of Genesis? The book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. What happens in the book of Genesis? Man in his perfection falls in sin, and all because of the grace and mercy of God, man is given a second chance. What happens in the first chapter of the book of Isaiah? Man in his sin, God looks at him and says, come now. Let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, I shall make them as white as snow. So you could take each chapter of the book of Isaiah and correlate it to the different books in the Bible as they fall. Now, don't jump off the wagon. I'm going somewhere. I promise you that. Now, what chapter are we in? We are in chapter number 65. Therefore, if you would correlate chapter 65 to the 65th book of the Bible, the 65th book of the Bible is the book of Jude. It is that book which comes right before the revelation of Jesus Christ. Why does that matter? Because if the revelation of Jesus Christ is the synopsis of the coming of the Lord and what the world is going to see when Jesus comes back, then Jude is the gateway to the coming of the Lord. Therefore, the world that you find in the book of Jude is the world that is going to look like right before the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that important? What in the world do you think we are living in right now? We are living in the last days. We are in the last days church. We're in the last days world. We're in this last day season. Therefore, what you find in the 65th chapter is going to correspond to the 65th book, and the church you find in the 65th book is the church you and I live in. Therefore, there's a reason to this last days church in chapter 65. He says, be ye glad and rejoice. Brothers and sisters, do you know what the biggest battle in the last day's church is going to be? It's going to be maintaining your joy when the world loses their minds. The thing you and I are going to deal with the most in these last days is how do we maintain our joy and our happiness and our peace and our gladness when everybody around us is losing their crackers. That's going to be the battle you face. And if you don't face that battle, you ain't been saved very long. Because whenever you get saved, it is mighty easy to be happy about everything, joy-filled about everything, on fire about everything. But if you stay saved longer than about 35 seconds, there's going to be something coming in your pathway that tries to rip the joy of the Lord right out of your goozle. Now, you can sit there and act like a Baptist hypocrite all you want, but you and I know I'm telling it right. Beloved. I want you to watch what he said in our text verse, verse number 18. But be ye glad and rejoice. Do you see that? Be ye glad and rejoice. Now, I'm just a common redneck. I'm not an intelligent man. I barely made it through Bible college. I hated every second I was in school. I hated kindergarten school. I hated first grade school. I hated elementary school. I hated middle school. I hated high school. I hated college school. I hated divinity school. I hated every class in school. And young as your parents and your teachers aren't going to tell you the truth. Half of that stuff they teach you, you will not use it again. I promise you that. Brothers and sisters... But there is something that I learned in school. You know what that is? Words mean things. Whenever he says, be ye glad and rejoice. Now, I'm just a common redneck. Being glad and rejoicing seem to be the same thing to me, don't they? You tell somebody, get glad and rejoice, it sounds to me like you're saying the same thing. What is the difference then? Because God's not in the habit of wasting words when he writes the Bible. Do you know what it means to be glad and rejoice? They're two different things that point in the same direction. Whenever you tell somebody to rejoice, you are speaking about the verbal expression of joy. It's when you say things like, praise the Lord, hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, God is good. He is wonderful. He is faithful. That's what it means to rejoice whenever your mouth speaks the praises of God. So then what is being glad? If rejoicing is the verbal expression of God's goodness, being glad is the visual expression of God's goodness. You know, there is absolutely nothing worse than somebody saying, praise the Lord. Am I right about it? Some of y'all are looking at me just like that right now. There is nothing sanctified about saying, ain't God good. There is nothing holy about looking at somebody saying, well, he's faithful. There is something about when what comes out of this mouth matches the visual expression of when something comes out of that mouth. There is something happy about looking in the eyeballs of somebody, seeing them smile, knowing that what they've got on the inside is percolating and changing the outside. Brothers and sisters, we—I—I I, I was born Baptist. I was Baptist. But I was a Baptist before I was a Christian. I've been in Baptist churches my entire life. But do you know we have messed up our Baptist churches? And this is how we've messed up our Baptist churches. We have told our people and our children and our teenagers that as long as their exterior clothing is right, their heart must be right. No, 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 no. You've got to get a hold of somebody's heart, and it's going to percolate to the outside. But whenever the inside is right, it'll show up here. Here. Brothers and sisters, can I just be downright honest? I have never been happy about Don't you act like that made you mad. I'll come sit in your lap, kiss you in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost. I have never been happy about one thing, and it didn't show here. When my wife tells me, Tyler, I just want you to know, I love you. I promise you, boys, it does something to this right here when my little girl and my little boy come up and say, Daddy, I love you, it does something in here to me. And what happens in here to me, it shows up out here on me. Brothers and sisters, what you and I are going to deal with in this last day, you say, but Tyler, you don't know what I'm dealing with. If you know what I was dealing with, ladies and gentlemen, I didn't write the Bible. It was the good God of eternity that wrote this book down, and he is not interested in our feelings. He gives us a command, and I want you to notice. He says, I want you to be glad and rejoice in the midst of Dire conditions. What do you mean? Well, whenever Isaiah writes, he writes under the reign of five kings. And I mean the first one was as wicked as the day is long. You've got King Ahaz that is vile and wretched and wicked. And then Hezekiah comes along and brings revival about. And then his son steps in, whose name is Manasseh. And he is so wicked and wretched and evil. He leads all the people into captivity, leads all the people into abominations leads all the people into idolatry but yet Isaiah stands up and he says it may be bad everywhere out there. It may be tough everywhere out there but yet there is a God pumping inside of me and a power of God's inside of me and I'm going to stand up every day and smile and rejoice and be glad in the midst. Ladies and gentlemen I know this nation is in a bad spot. I know your classes are in a bad spot. I know your friends are in a bad spot. I know our churches are in a bad spot but where the people that say there is something on the inside of me when my family loses their mind and when my nation loses their mind and when my people around me lose their mind. There is a joy pumping in my heart and I cannot help but be glad and rejoice. Stop telling me how bad it is and focus on how good God is. But in the last days, the biggest battle we're going to fight is maintaining our gladness and joy in the midst of dire conditions. Number two, not just in the midst of dire conditions, but in the midst of disorienting conditions. What in the world, Isaiah, who are you talking to? He's talking to the people of God. Why do you have to remind the people of God to rejoice and be glad? Because they forget whose they are. Can I tell you something? Y'all, most of y'all aren't like me, Pastor Zane, Brother Jacob. You're not like us. We get to come into church six and seven days in the week. We don't have to go out there and work in that secular workplace like you all do. Youngins, we don't have to go to those schools like you do. And every day it's mighty easy for us to stand up here to say rejoice and be glad you're the people of God. It's hard to remember whose you are when all you're surrounded by is a bunch of wicked, vile, wretched people. Everybody around you telling you you're odd because you don't act like them. You're different because you don't act like them. You don't belong because you don't act like them, sir or ma'am. I am not telling you that it's gonna be easy, but at the end of the day, you're gonna have to step back, lift your eyes up to heaven, and say, I was bought with the blood of the darling Son of God, and I belong to the loving Lamb of God, and I'm on my way to the heaven of God, and the devil cannot pull me down. I belong to therefore I will rejoice and be glad. I want to ask you another question. I asked you this morning. I'm going to ask you again. How many of you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you're saved by the grace of Jesus? If your hand is lifted up right now, hear me, hear me well. You are the child of high and holy royalty. You are the child of a thrice holy God. You belong to the sovereign, omnipotent, omniscient, everlasting, eternal, ever benevolent, great and glorious, eternal, sovereign God of the universe. You're not the son or the daughter of some pauper. You're not the son or the daughter of some... Low life. your father owns the cattle on a thousand hillside your father created everything and then when he got down to you he reached down and he started forming and fashioning you with his hands you are the child of the most high God do not wake up today and believe the lies of the devil you belong to the father in the midst of disorienting conditions rejoice and be ye glad but then number three in the midst of definite conditions What does that mean? Whenever Isaiah writes, Manasseh is on the throne. And whenever Manasseh begins to rule and reign, you know what God says? God says, Isaiah, tell the people judgment will come. There ain't a thing you can do to change it. Judgment is on the way. Well, Lord, that don't really give me a whole lot to rejoice and be glad about. If judgment's coming, he said, Isaiah... The fact that judgment is coming is the best indication that you need to be the light and the salt that tells people that there is hope in the midst of judgment. Brothers and sisters, I wish I had good news for our land, but I wish I could tell you something different. I'm just going to tell you the truth. Our land is coming under the judging hand of an almighty God. Everything you see going on around you is beginning to unfold the judging hand of God and there's nothing you and I are going to be able to do about it. God will wreak havoc on a land that has turned their back on the high omnipotent God of heaven. But that is not our excuse to just go in a corner somewhere, that's when we need to stand up and do what nobody else can do. And in the midst of judgment, we've got the ability to smile and have joy in our heart and say, let me tell you about a God that will shield you from the judging hand that is on the way. Therefore, in the midst of a definite judgment, rejoice and be ye glad. All right, Tyler, I hear you. How do I do it? How do I rejoice and be glad? When all this is going on, I'm going to give you three things, and I'm going to be out of here. Number one, the first way that you rejoice and be glad in the midst of all of that is you've got to remember this. At the end of the day, he's still God. At the end of the day, he's still God. Where do you get that? Look in verse number 7. Watch what it says in verse number 7 of this chapter. He says, your iniquities and the iniquities of your fathers together saith The what? Lord. Now, brothers and sisters, how many of you see that word Lord, L-O-R-D, Lord? Does it look funny in your Bible? Well, if your Bible's looking like my Bible, it ought to look like this. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Is that what yours looks like? If your Bible says capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, any time in the Old Testament you see capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, it is the Bible's way of telling you that is the proper name of God. It's the name Yahweh. Or in Moses' language, I am that I am. Now, why does that matter? Here's why. Whenever God went to sign a contract and make a covenant, he always used his name. Brothers and sisters, how many of you have been blessed by God and you have been able to buy a vehicle or a house? Lift your hands up. Okay. If you've ever done that, you were handed a stack of paperwork at least as thick as your fingernail, and if you bought a house, it was as thick as two of your knuckles. Whenever you signed at the bottom of that paper... A lot of us have many titles. I'm husband, I'm preacher, I'm daddy, but I've only got one name. And when I sign a contract, do I sign my title or my name? I sign my name. Because I'm saying at the bottom of that contract, no matter what comes my way, I give my reputation on the fact that I'm going to do what I said I'm going to do. Brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, Israel had lost their mind, but God had not lost his. Israel had turned aside from God, but God had not turned aside from Israel. The people had rejected God, but God had not abandoned his people. Ladies and gentlemen, the world has lost their mind, but God is still God. And the people may turn aside, but God is still God. And the people around you may go asunder, but God is still God. God. And your health may turn upside down, but God is still God. And you may not know what to do, but God is still God. And you may not know where to turn, but God is still God. And you may not know which way is up and down, but God is still God. And you may not know who you can trust, but God is still God. And at the end of the day, you can rejoice and be glad that no matter what happens, God is still God. Any time in my life I've ever felt like it was all out of control, I didn't feel like it was all out of control. I felt like I was out of control. And brothers and sisters, at the end of the day, it will help you keep your sanity and rejoice and be glad when you realize God is still God. Number two, not just that God is still God, but look, if you will, in verse number 10. The second thing that will help you rejoice and be glad is you've got to remember that the barren place will bloom again. The barren place will bloom again. What does that mean? Look in verse number 10, if you will. The Bible says in verse number 10, And Sharon shall be a fold of flocks, and the valley of Acor a place of the herds to lie down in. For my people that have sought me. What was the fields of Sharon? What was Sharon? Sharon was a wide open plain where roses used to bloom. You ever heard of a thing called the roses of Sharon? But what happened was whenever the people would walk out, the the, the enemy would walk from Assyria and come south, they would crush the field of Sharon because of all of the hundreds of thousands of troops that would come, they would trample those roses. They obliterated that field. And then the Valley of Achor. Do you remember what happened in the Valley of Achor? How many of you remember whenever Joshua came over the Jordan River and there was a man named Achan? Do you remember Achan? He took the Babylonian garments and he sinned and God stoned him there in the Valley of Achor. Watch what God said. God said the field that the enemy trampled and the valley that you messed up in will bloom again. Have you ever had a situation happen in your life and you felt out of control and you did nothing wrong, but yet you had to deal with the mess? Am I talking to anybody tonight? You ever had your youngin? you did everything in your power to raise them right, and they lost their ever-living, loving minds? And mom and daddy, you were out of control. God says to those of you who did everything you could, and the enemy trampled your sharing, it will bloom again tonight there is sorrow in the hearts of the people whenever they look at what they've lost and they look at what the enemy has taken away and they look at how he has trampled their lives and he looks and they look at how everything has fallen apart god says that place where you lost it all because of somebody else's decisions that place will bloom again but what about the valley of achor what about those places that you and i caused to mess up anybody ever messed up Oh, sure you have. You're Baptist. Don't look at me like that. You ever messed up? Sure you have. You ever messed up and the devil tell you you've messed up so much it can never be undone? I have. God says where the valley of Acor, the valley of your mess up, the flocks will graze again. You know, my son, my daughter are getting a little bit older. My My little girl will be... 10 this year. My Mason will be 13 this year. So they're getting to that age, especially my son, where I make sure that I don't make every decision for him. I have to let him make some of his own decisions. Now, I still try to keep it in the rails, but it is important for him to learn how to make right and wrong decisions. You know, that seems like a really good idea until it ain't a good idea. You know, my son is just like me. Sometimes we desire to make the right decision, but we make the wrong decision. Anybody else feel what I'm feeling? You know, when my son messes up, when my Mason Curtis messes up, Brother Paul, It is never my desire to see him fail. It's my desire for my son to realize he made the wrong decision and to change his actions. And when my son comes to me with the right heart after a mess up, you know what Papa Bear does? Papa Bear goes into warp speed trying to figure out how to put it all back together again. And then there's that little one. That little nine-year-old whirlwind. That tornado we call Ella. If, have you ever had a child that had the patience of a gnat that forgot to take its Adderall? That's my Ella. My Ella has zero patience. When she gets something from the store... You know, the normal thing is to wait till you get home, unbox it, look at the directions, find someone who knows how to run a drill and a screwdriver, and put it together piece by it. not Ella. Ella's in the car. She's unboxing it. She's putting it together in the car. She's trying to put the little screws in with her finger. She's getting pocket knives, and she's getting everything she can, putting it all together in the car. And, I mean, you know, you would think that the Hughes family would give us better instructions on how to put those things together. But here we are. And she gets home, and bless her heart, the girl cries at the drop of a hat and then drops her hat just to cry. She got tears running down her eyes. Daddy is ruined. Daddy, it ain't ever going to be right. And I always look at that little one and I said, Ella, why didn't you wait on me? She says, But daddy, but daddy, I want it so bad, daddy. Ella, why didn't you just wait on me? Daddy, I'm sorry. I should have. Now look. If it had been some hard-nosed daddy, he'd have probably looked at her in the eyeballs and said, well, I bet next time you'll wait on me, and then slam the door and go in the house. But when there's a father that's got love in his heart for that child, my desire is not for that child to mess up. My desire is for that child to understand my love for her. And you know what I do when I realize her heart is right? I look at her and I say, now, baby, don't you worry about that broken thing. Daddy's going to help you pick up the pieces. Daddy's going to help you put this thing back together. And the God of heaven says, I know you may have fallen back there, but it's not God's desire to see your life messed up. The good God of heaven just wants you to realize you can't make it without him. And tonight, all you've got to realize is there's a good God in heaven that will let the barren place blossom again, even if you're the reason it's barren. But there's a third reason you can rejoice and be glad. And if that don't make you happy, I don't know what will." When you realize that God is not like a a bug squasher in heaven trying to rip your life up. All He wants is for you to realize you can't do it without Him. The third thing He wants you to say is this. Rejoice and be glad that the former pain will pass away. Watch what it says in verse number 16. Verse number 16, he says, They, that he who blesseth himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth. Because the former troubles are forgotten. And because they are hid from mine eyes. When we were here a couple of weeks, a couple of months back at Jubilee, My precious little wife had just found out that we'd lost our baby. And it was so fresh and so raw. You really don't have time to process it. What you're really thinking. What you're really feeling. You know, there are still times whenever we left the hospital that day. They gave us a little little cushion heart. that's supposed to be something we can remember the baby by. And that night when we got home, we gave that little heart to my son. And he keeps that in his bed. And the other night I was tucking Mason in the bed. And, and I looked and I had not seen that heart since we left the hospital. And I saw that heart and there was just this shot of pain that hit my soul. I can't explain it. But some of you that deal with pain tonight, it's like it hits you. And it zaps all the joy. And the gladness right out. David, come on up, son. And it doesn't take many sermons to get you in a place where all you can think about is what could have been. All you can think about is how it should have turned out. You know, I got to thinking two days ago, I looked at Erica riding down the road and I told her, I said, I I thought about the baby last night in the middle of the night and I woke up. My wife should be roughly about eight and a half months pregnant. She ought to be waddling in right now. And every now and again that zap just hits you. People of God, it's hard to have joy. Whenever the pain of a daddy gone to the grave, a mama not here anymore. A son or a daughter that's got an empty place at the table. It's hard to have joy when you think about a marriage that fell apart. It's hard to think about happiness when you wonder what would have happened if. But the Lord thunders out of heaven. And He says rejoice. and Be glad. Because the day is coming when those troubles will all be forgotten. Child of God, there will be a moment when it will be the last time you think about that pain. There will be a second when the last time comes that that brings you heartbreak. There will be a millisecond when you can no longer remember what if and what should have. Teenagers here right now having to go through the pain of living with a single mama or daddy or grandparents. You look at all those kids at school and you wonder, what if? What would my life be if, listen to me, God is still God. God knew what was going to happen in your family. And God let you be right where you're at. But the day is going to come. Stop living in that pain. I'm not saying you're going to get to a place right now where it's never going to come up. But stop living under the chain of that pain. God puts you where you are for a reason. And may I ask you, have you stopped for a second, sulking in our should-haves and could-haves to say, Lord, Lord, I'm listening now. Will you tell me why? God, I don't want to live in the bitterness. I don't want to live in the torment. I want to live in faith. I want to live knowing that I'm doing Listen, there's going to come a time when you don't have that pain anymore. There's going to be a moment when it's all behind you. And it's so far behind you, you can't even remember what it was. So tonight, rejoice. Be glad- Listen, I've been in church all my life. I've gone to church all my life. Church ain't always easy. People are crazy. They lose their mind. They'll say stuff to you hurt your feelings, walk out the door and they'll say, Preacher, I've heard better sermons than that. Well, God bless you. Singers, you get up and somebody says, You didn't hit that last note. Well, praise the Lord. People go out and you study and you work and you pray and you labor and nobody seems appreciative of it. And the devil does everything he can in this last days to that remnant church to sap your joy. God looks at you and says, Be ye glad and rejoice. The day is coming when it's all gone. Tonight might be the pivot in your life. I didn't say it was all going to be behind you. I said tonight might be the pivot where you start moving in another direction. Church, tonight might be the night that you pivot. Deacons, tonight might be the night you pivot. Marriage, tonight might be the night you pivot. Teenager, college, tonight might be that night. But rejoicing and being glad is a decision you make moment by moment, day by day. So tonight, how many of you join me on this altar and say, Lord, I'm taking back what the enemy has stole from me.